Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Hey, hey, welcome to the Keeping It 100 radio segment, Empowered Voices. I'm Valeria Garcia, certified health coach, type 1 diabetic, women's wellness coach and mentor inside Needles and Spoons, and alumni of our signature program, Keeping It 100. Inside this segment, I hold space and interview individuals, leaders, and supporters from the T1D community to share their story, journey, experiences, and wisdom to empower, inspire, and share their light. To find these conversations live, join us inside the T1D Judgment-Free Zone Facebook group. We can get it. Okay, so today is a very, very special conversation that I'm so excited to have. We have Charlie and her mama bear, Felicia, joining us. And they just told me about the whole lineage of type 1 diabetics and their family. So I'm excited to learn more. So Charlie and mom, go ahead and introduce yourselves, how long you've been a type 1 where you're at, where you live. Um, I'm Felicia. I am 62 years old. I got diabetes. I had about a week after I turned 26. Wow. So November was right before Thanksgiving. So November um, coming up, it'll be 37 years that I've had type one. Wow. I was living in Houston, Texas. and I, it seemed like I had lost like 10 pounds overnight and didn't know why and anything. And, but before that, my brother was diagnosed at age 18, which he's five years younger than me. And he would say to me, you should go get tested. And I said, what, what are the chances of two people in the same family getting it? I'm the only one that said it. And I'm the only one that got it. <sighs> and so, um, so he was 18, I was 25, and it was very hard because I really knew nothing about it. He was living in Massachusetts at the time. I was living in Texas. I had no one, no support. My husband and my best friend was there, and she would come over every day, every morning to make sure I had put enough insulin in the needle because I couldn't see very well. Mm-hmm. And it was, I had gone to work one day ordered a pizza. And after I ate that pizza, I was kept on drinking a lot of stuff. And I didn't know why. And the next day, I mean, I must have went through three cans of soda, some punch, all in a nine hour period, and always going to the bathroom and couldn't figure out why. And finally, I had gone out for a drink on my birthday with my best friend and her cousin. And I had to order, and I drank a really sweet, sweet drink. But before that, I had to order ginger ale, and I like sip, drank that in one sip. I was wow. so thirsty. And my my uh, best friend's cousin said, "You know, you should check about diabetes. You know, because because there was diabetes in that family too." And I said, wow. oh. "So I went. I went to the clinic, and they diagnosed me that day. I didn't have to drink this stuff like they do." They just found it in my urine. My sugar was 316, and um, which is John 316, the best verse of the Bible. So that's why I remember <laughs> what, my, what it was. Like, yes. 
Um, so, and I, I just, my girlfriend came over, but you know, I didn't, I moved six months after that. So I didn't really learn a whole lot by anybody. You know, we just, um, me and my husband walked every night, you but know, to, the thing. did you have a diabetes doctor? I had a diabetes doctor, but I, to be honest, I don't remember how often I went to go see him. Yeah. Um, so, um, but that's we yeah, like support was so different, I'm sure back then. And now you see your daughter, you know, entering programs, becoming a coach. It's such a different environment, but wow. Very yes. Cause even when I moved to Massachusetts, I didn't have, um, a diabetic doctor there. I just went to see my regular, uh, my internal medicine guy, but he was really good. And then when I got pregnant, he, like I was calling him every single day and he would tell me how much insulin to take. Um, and I saw him every, and I got an um, ultrasound every month. Um, it was just, it was hard being pregnant having it. Yeah. So, wow. And so, I, no, I, that I, was great. So I, I was, I was got it first and then I had two, three pregnancies after that. Oh, but wow. gave birth to two and it was hard. One was very hard pregnancy. The other one wasn't. Mine wasn't. No, hers wasn't. The one who got diabetes. <laughs> like, it was me. Funny. You came out quick, but you had type one diabetes. <laughs> well, it's funny because when my other daughter came out, she came out with low blood sugars. Mm, interesting. Then, so she was hooked up, you know, and I couldn't, um, see her for the whole day or well, that's because I was not doing too well myself but um so then she was normal and then when this one was born she was it was a perfect pregnancy and she ate immediately you know I couldn't feed the other one for days after and I nursed her 30 minutes after she came out interesting but it was a much different pregnancy it was a perfect pregnancy with her and the other one I was your management different for them? I mean, back then, like at that time, what was like your devices that you had access to? Like, I know you said you had like syringes and insulin. Did you have like a meter? Yeah. Oh, constantly testing my sugar constantly, but my sugars were low all the time. So interesting. I, um, yeah. I had to go to the hospital a couple of times. My husband had to call 911 a couple of times. It was, I gained like 46 pounds because I hit my had so many low blood sugars. I'm only 4'11", too. So, you know, I was huge. Um, you mean you had so many low blood sugars you were eating all I was, the time? Yeah, over-treating it. Oh. Not over-treating it, but treating it. But did you know that, which I learned, milk was the one thing that my doctor always would tell my husband to give me is milk to drink. And that's, for my low blood sugar. And that's the one thing I always told Lissy in my program that you would make me drink at night. Yeah. Was milk. I don't know if you know that, but interesting. I wonder if it's because they're like, there's some sugar, there's some protein, Protein, like it was a little bit of like a more stable versus like just a juice, but that's so interesting. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. Cause the juice will just bring it up. It doesn't stay really stabilize it. Milk will stabilize it. I think so. Yeah. Cause the protein. Okay. Interesting. All right, Charlie, now tell us your experience, Charlie. So how old were you? And I also want to know from your mom, but you can share that after is like, how did, like, what was the first sign also, or like that moment when you knew like, Oh, Charlie's a type one, or like, was there like a moment where you're like, Oh, she's really thirsty or she's losing weight. Cause I'm sure you were able to catch that so quick. 
Yeah. So I was seven years old when I was diagnosed. I'm 24 now, so 17 years. We were both diagnosed in the month of November. I was Thanksgiving Day, um, so we'll definitely share that story. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think my mom can probably talk about my diagnosis because I was really young, so I don't remember a lot of it. But I do remember that I will. I'll talk about how I felt before I, I got diabetes. We always diabetes was like a big thing in our family. Like we would talk about it all the time. We would always say we were performing surgery on you, right? <laughs> we would like put her patch on me and my dad. They, Rebecca? they don't call it patch. All right. Yeah. We'd say sight. Sorry. No, we say, uh, we say our patch and our doctor made fun of us for that. And was like, we've never heard that before. So our sight, <laughs> we would always put the sight on my mom and say, Oh, it's time to perform surgery. And that was like every three days. She's, you know, we change our sight every three days. Um, and I'd like give her needles. I'd squeeze her arm for her. So I was definitely kind of educated on it and I knew what it was. And I mean, I always ate a bunch as a kid, so I don't know if that really changed. Um, but I remember always being okay with testing my blood sugar. Like my, I would test it with my mom and it would be in the eighties, it'd be a hundred. And it was always like kind of fun to see how good it was. But I remember when she wanted to test it when she knew something was wrong and I was really, really resistant to it. I didn't want her to test it. And it was on Thanksgiving Day. And I just could feel that it was different than the other times before. And it was when we had family. My aunt was there. So my aunt tested her blood sugar first and was like, look, I can do it too. So we did it. And I was they like, hold you down. I, yeah, they had to hold me down to test my sugar. Oh my and it was like 567, I think, was my... It was 565 at the hospital. Um, yeah, it was five. Yeah, it was five six five thirty five when we tested it. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, wow. I mean, you can talk about the signs that you saw. I know I was peeing a lot. I was peeing the bed a lot. Well, I don't know if you know this, but before, you, before it comes out, there's something that triggers the diabetes out, something that you're going through. And with her, she had a sinus infection. So we had gone to the doctors and they gave an antibiotic, um, the penicillin, and it wasn't working. It was, she was breaking out with a rash. So mm. I brought her back in and they gave her Zithromax. And so then she was wetting the bed. So we thought, I thought it was because of the medicine she was on. She slept at her girlfriend's house and she wet the bed over there. Yeah. And... But still, not thinking the diabetes. I'm just thinking it was this medicine that she was on. And you were doing a really good job of not letting me drink before bed and making sure that I was peeing before bed. So to st and to still be peeing the bed was like a definitely a sure telling sign. And she wasn't really losing weight because she was really thin anyway. Um, so she wasn't losing. I don't think she lost any weight, and she wasn't gaining any weight. So. And then Thanksgiving Day, she had on these blue spandex pants. And a spaghetti strap shirt. And a spaghetti <laughs> strap shirt that she had made at Vacation Bible School. And you could see her belly. And I did notice that she was really skinny. That's when I noticed she was really skinny. I said to my sister, I said, look how skinny she looks. And then I said, oh, my gosh. No, it can't be. So that's when I tested her sugar. So then I called up her soccer coach because he's a doctor. And um, I told him, I said, you know, I just tested a sugar. What do you think I should do? And he says, okay, Felicia, you know what to do. You know to 
take her into the hospital, take her in the emergency room. So we called the doctor that was on call and uh, she called and she goes, meet me at the hospital. So I'll take her to the emergency room. So we did. And they tested her sugar and it was 565. And then they called up the doctors in Albany because that's where the main, that's where people know what they're doing is in Albany. And so they called and then they said, I could take her home only because, because we hadn't eaten yet. We'd just take turkey out of the oven and then we left. And eight of us went to the hospital with her. And, um, and uh, so she, so they said I could take her home because I know what to do if she had a reaction. So, but not to give her the cranberry sauce and the pie and the ice cream. So they gave her insulin um, before we left. And they said, do not give her any insulin. Well, you know, and then you're going to come back the next day and spend the whole day with us, which that's what we did. Wow. So, I mean, that was really nice that I didn't have to stay in the hospital. Um, I remember I was eating a can of Pringles too when, when we found out I had diabetes I was, or <laughs> when they were testing my sugar. Um, but yeah, I would say even just looking back at that, I started off with so much support. I went to the hospital with eight people. I like never really thought about that. My cousins were there. My aunt was there. And they yeah. had, they had uh, something in the paper saying, something about bringing her, she has, um, she's in the hospital and a lot of families there with her, you know, but they didn't <laughs> mention her name or anything. And it was Thanksgiving day. So that was pretty cool too. But yeah. since she, she always, she ate a lot of food all the time. She always ate. She still does, but, um, <laughs> your dad's in the background. She still does. <laughs> <laughs> so and it was really hard. It was really hard trying to control her when she was a full-fledged diabetic at that time. And how did you feel like with that? I mean, for both of you. So for you as her mom, how did you feel like knowing like, okay, this is, you know, you've lived this life, you know what that life is. And now for your daughter to step into it. And then same with you, Charlie, like, how did that feel going to the hospital and knowing like, okay, I've seen my mom experience life this way. We've helped her. What is that going to look like for me? Because I feel like those are such different perspectives. And, you know, I'm coming from a family where no one had type 1 diabetes. So I never saw those things, right? Like I didn't see needles, <clears throat> insulin. I never saw medical devices. So for me, it was so like new that I didn't even know. I didn't even have a perception about it because I had never seen it in my life. So I'm so interested to know for both of you, like what was that initial like feeling or how do you feel like what was going on? Well, I've felt really, I felt like it was my fault, first of all, that she got it because oh. you know, it was hereditary. Um, but I always thought we're believers in God. And, and that's why I had a perfect pregnancy with her because a lot of people were praying for us. And I said, this is why I got it because God knew that I was going to have a child with it. And I need to know how to, um, you know, help her out. So that makes me want to cry. But it was, That's so sweet. I think you're right. I think, I think there's always a plan. Right. And yeah. And I think for each other, you guys have been that for each other. Like you guys have been supporters and like your number one buddies and experiencing something like that is like such a special, special connection. And yeah, Charlie, you were so lucky to have your mom as like your guide, your mentor, your friend, while you go through something so different and such a big transition. Yeah, I definitely felt, I mean, 
Dad, you can also talk in this part because I feel like you have to. You have to invite him in. Yeah, Charlie's dad's here, so come on in. Join um, the party. I felt like I mean both of them were like my rock, but my mom was definitely the the like calmer and more grounded one, and he was really in denial. So he was. I mean, I think you can comment more on that because I was. I don't remember a lot but that probably had some influence on like how I felt because he was making a really big deal of it. It was a huge deal. Well, I can tell you that Charlie's a much more gift to the world being celiac and diabetic than if she wasn't. I guarantee you that's a fact. And um, anyway, so with her pregnancy, it really was a very smooth ride in comparison. But we, wait, so when she was, when we had to go to Albany Med the next day after Thanksgiving to meet with the educator. So we're sitting in the room, the three of us and the educator. And the educator said, if you need anything to eat or drink, you can go and get ginger ale and crackers in the other room. He kept on taking her out of that room constantly. He would not look at the doctor. He was so mad at the doctor, but he was denying that Charlie has it. He could, and he wasn't handling it very well. He was not dealing with it at all, very yeah. well at all. So and so he would buy her whatever she wanted. Oh, it, she didn't even have to ask for something. She, he would just buy stuff like a nice swing set, a dog, a playhouse. So this is so interesting because there's so many perspectives. And just like as the father and husband, you already had these like pre-experiences so of course like it's very scary to step in to know like oh this is going to be a reality for my young daughter also and I think it's nice to hear all perspectives because you're all coming from such different situations and for you Charlie like you know seeing your dad and how he's experiencing it and then also having your mom there I think that's a huge part of like who you are today as a diabetic and you are so involved you have so many friends we're friends and I'm so glad that we are and I think it's so special to have all of this because a lot of us don't have someone like really close in the family to like have these like deeper conversations with. And sometimes we don't even have friends that are type one diabetic. So having that community, even within your family is so powerful. And I love that you're both getting to share this because it's very unique. Yeah. I just want to say two more quick things. Number one, one of the things when she was diagnosed with diabetes and because if she had diabetes, when we met, I don't know how I would have reacted because she didn't have it. So I always thought if she has diabetes, who's going to want to be with her with knowing what it, it means to be diabetic? And it is a big thing. It's, it's a life-changing thing. Well, at any rate, I just want to go on record that she has a boyfriend for now five or six years, future husband, and he's the best guy in the whole wide world. And he loves her, and it doesn't matter that she's diabetic. So there goes that one out the window. And uh, the other thing I just want to say is, again, I want to emphasize how important it is, her diabetes and her celiac, how much that's made me a better person. She's had celiac for how long? Since I was 11, 13 years. 13 years she's had celiac. And as soon as she got celiac, we kind of went out to dinner one night, as I remember it. And they bring the bread and everybody's whooping the bread down and she's looking at us. At that very moment, I never cheated in all the years. I've been celiac as well with her because now it's me and her against the world. 
-hmm. And I have never cheated, not even a crumb, because that's an example I want to set for her. So it's helped me terrifically, believe me, weight-wise and everything, that her these things that she has, a.k.a. wrong with her, actually make her a better person and make other people a better person. And people are fortunate to know people like you and people like her. They're lucky. I love so. that. I just want to cry now. I'm like, <laughs> oh, God, guys, I'm good. I'm going to go cry. That was beautiful. And you're right. I think that piece, especially even with the relationship, that is so true because that was one of my fears too. I was diagnosed at 23. I had lived my whole life. I had dated already. I was 23 years old and now I have this diagnosis and I was like, oh my gosh, is this going to be a barrier when I date someone? Is someone, am I going to meet someone and they're going to be like, oh, I love you, but that's too much or that's too heavy right. for me to take on. And I was so afraid of that. That was like a really big thing to start going on dates. And even like some of the first dates I went on, I like hit it a little bit. And then I got to a point where I was like, you know, this is part of me. So I'd be like on a first date, like chugging a juice, like, hi, I have type one diabetes. I know this is our <laughs> first date, but this is like my life. But yeah. And luckily I have also found a partner and we've been together for two years and he is amazing. Also, he has fully stepped in, has never questioned, has always helped me. And just knowing that they're there for that piece is so, so powerful in our relationship because it's intimate on a very different level. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't see that piece, right? Like our partners help us with injections, putting on sites, they're waking up in the middle of the night, getting the juice for us. Like there's so many pieces that they play in that puzzle. And I think they're not highlighted in the community as much. So this is so good for all of you guys out there that are just family members or brothers, sisters, partners. Like it is, we love you. And it's super important that you know that you are a special piece in the way that we live day to day. It's so important. to have. I just learned the term type three. From yeah, type from three. Right. Our type three. <laughs> There's someone in your life that has a type one very close, but doesn't have type one themselves. Oh, yeah. So my, kind mom, of like, my mom's always like, I'm a type three. <laughs> you are. I just, I just came up with a good idea. We should have people that help people because I've given more shots. I'm like a doctor. You know, like when, when you put on your patch and then you put that sticker over it. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to put it on good and, you know, on all four sides. I think we should have little contests. That's you know, like, like, We should. Like yeah, like Olympics for, for spouses or helpers, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, because we've done it so much that, you know, I kind of feel like, and, and it's still hard to do, you know. Let's check their technique. No, you're right, because I never do that to myself. I never put the, like, the patch sticker over. My boyfriend does that, and I'm always like, looks good, you know, but I, I don't do it myself. I'm probably not good. So we should do a contest of the actual mm -hmm. diabetic and the helpers, because I think the helpers would be way better. <laughs> I know because I have to give Damien some more patience too because it'll be like I have a deck she wears the Medtronic sensor but I have the Dexcom so when he puts it on and when there's like the little bit is on the lip of your sensor I'm like mm, eight out of ten I'll like <laughs> critique it and I'm like you give me all the patience in the world with having diabetes and I'm like mm with one one sensor change <laughs> i know I'm, I'm like the same i'm like michael wait can you just put it in already come on he's like oh, chill i'm like i know i just like get it in let's go <laughs> that's so true oh my gosh i'm so glad that your dad jumped in because that was very special to hear yeah yeah and that definitely played a big part like the fact that he wouldn't like spank me and i would use that as an excuse that played like a whole part in and just having diabetes like in school 
I would always use it as an excuse or I would have fun with it. I'd be like, oh, you can't spank me there. I have a sight change or it hurts. Or like, I always would say, sorry, I have diabetes. I still say that to this day. I just like have fun with it. And I, I get away with things. I, I used to like use it as an excuse in middle school, high school to like get out of class, get my friends out of class. And yeah. just like- She probably brings her whole class down to the nurse with her because she can't do it by herself. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I need my cheerleading group to come with me so they could cheer me on <laughs> while you do this. <laughs> And you see, that's like, I think that's the beauty of diabetes. Like it is actually serious enough that people won't question you, but then you can just kind of, since people don't really know a lot about it, if they're, you know, they just don't really question you and you can get away with more. That's it's what it's funny when people say, if you say, oh, my sugar's low, and they'll say, oh, do you need a shot or something? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> it's always a shot when it's high, you know? <laughs> yeah it's always like the opposite reaction yeah yeah true um okay so charlie did you have celiac then before you were a type one no i got it when i was 11 so four years and at that time everything was like cardboard like it wasn't good yet yeah like they didn't um, have now she was she was like 75 pounds for years she wasn't gaining any weight and so she was 11, turning 12, because when we brought her into, and they only found it because they were doing her blood work and diabetes, and that's how they found the celiac. So we had gone to the doctors and all that, and the doctor said, okay, so you could go home and have your birthday cake, but as soon as you have your cake, that's it. That's it. No more wheat, you know? Wow. So that but was... That I, was um, well... I never had any symptoms. Yeah. So it just popped up in my blood work and it was, I've, I've still never had symptoms. So, but they said that it goes hand in hand in children with diabetes, yeah. like, like two autoimmune conditions. But I remember, you know, when I was younger, I always used to try to sneak on the phone and listen to like my sister's calls or my mom's calls. And that was one of them. It was the hospital calling. And I remember hearing them say, you know, you, you guys have to come into the hospital for, I heard, they said celiac, but I heard celiac. I heard how I perceived it in my young kid brain was like that a bunch of kids with diseases were coming together, like with diabetes or whatever, were coming together and they were going to do like activities and silly acts. That's literally what I heard. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go do that. Like I'm way too cool for that. Way too cool for that. And out I'm not that. too cool for celiac. It came <laughs> and it attacked. It attacked me. But then she, got, me. Then she gained. Then she gained, gained double the amount of weight once it was in control. Yeah, once we knew, because you were able to like hold your nutrients in and nourishment. And wow, that's so. I always like love to hear like what other things have come up because just personally for me, the year right before I was diagnosed as a type one. I had Bell's palsy, which was like half my face was paralyzed and it was an autoimmune disease. And they didn't, there was like no reasoning. They're like, oh, were you really stressed? Like sometimes when the body's stressed out or inflamed, like you can have this reaction. So to me, I was like, wow, that's so interesting. So that had happened to me. And then eight months later, I shipped out to the Peace Corps in Costa Rica and I had been there for a year and I slowly started losing all this weight, was super thirsty. I hadn't seen my family in a year. They came to visit me. And they're like, you're sick. And my mom instantly was like, I think you have diabetes. Like you're super thirsty, you know, you're really thin. And I was like, uh, and you know, people in the community were 
super concerned. They were like bringing me so much food every day. They're like, are you not eating? I'm like, no, I'm eating. Um, but why I share that piece is because then I got type one. It was very scary. It was scary in another country. It was a, a very interesting experience as an adult also. And, you know, I speak Spanish, but everything was in Spanish. And these are like hardcore medical terms where I'm like, whoa. And my blood sugar was at like 980. Like it was <laughs> off the charts. Yeah. Like they honestly were like, how did you walk in here? Why are you not in a coma? Like, I don't understand. And I was at that point was already feeling very like emotion. I, I was like, my body felt so kind of like what you were experiencing, like when you were having like these episodes of low blood sugars or high, where you feel out of body experience. Like I was crying and I felt tired, but I felt so disconnected from my body and I couldn't figure out what was going on. But then, you know, the next year I started experiencing different symptoms with food and I found out that I'm super sensitive to gluten and dairy. And so I took those out of my diet and I felt so much better energy wise, weight wise, all these things, but just looking at all of those markers, right. That like stressed out my body. I was like, wow, it's so interesting to look back because the whole time I was in Costa Rica, all I ate was bread, coffee, and cheese, like literally the whole time. Oh my! And it turns out, you know, that that was already, you know, having me have diarrhea, really painful digestion. So like I was already having these symptoms. So I always look back and I'm like, wow, I wonder if I was just in this super, exhaustion and inflamed state that it triggered type one diabetes. Cause it was right. just so interesting. It all lined up very close together in like the timeline. And then ever since, you know, I was diagnosed six years ago and now, you know, I've been fine. Things are under control. I don't have digestion issues. I also avoid a lot of those foods and I I'm okay, but it's just so interesting to see like the timelines of things and where we're at in our age and like our health. Um, mm-hmm. so wild. See, see what I mean about something triggered off that diabetes with you. Yeah. yeah. You know, and like I, I had the gene. I had broke out with a really bad rash. Oh. And I went to the doctors and they didn't know what it was. Interesting. And, and then a couple months later, that's when I was diagnosed with diabetes. Yeah. And you know what else also happened to me when I was in Costa Rica? A few oh. months before I was diagnosed, I was um, walking with my students, like kind of on this reef by the ocean and we were snorkeling and I cut my foot pretty bad. And the next day I had a fever. So I went in to the hospital where I was later on diagnosed and they gave me medicine. They're like, Oh, you have some kind of virus or something, but it should go away. Went away after three days. But then a few months later I go in and they're like, why are you here again? I'm like, I have diabetes now. And they were like, Whoa, that's so weird. There must be a connection. So I agree. I think there, there's sometimes inter in like our inner world or like the external world, like something happens that triggers it, whether it's, you know, some stressful event or something where right. the is, you know, trying to fight something off. So it's uh-huh. very interesting. did you get, ever get chest celiac? Uh, no, I didn't. I, I just took those foods out. Cause also at that time I was having like really bad skin issues, like a really bad acne, and I would get eczema on my hands all the time. So like there was so much happening with my skin that I just, my family's always been very holistic. So I was like, Hmm, my mom was already starting to be like, Hey, take caffeine out, like take some of these foods out and see what happens. And I just did like a elimination diet for a month where I took out dairy and gluten. And I kid you not in that four week period, my acne just disappeared. And my wow. rashes disappeared. And I was like, Whoa, I'm just never going to eat that. Um, but actually this last year, I did a test um, that tested just any kind of irritants or allergies that I have to like toxins in the environment or foods. 
and it uh gluten came up dairy um caffeine was on there so I was like okay this all is like making sense but you know I went on my own journey to find it out before I did an actual test mm-hmm. uh, so very very interesting how things kind of show up on the body before it's right. like diagnosed yeah yeah but do you eat anything like that might have wheat in it like um say macaroni cheese well you don't eat cheese um I no, I usually eat like the bon like the stuff that um Charlie eats, like the bonza pasta with chickpeas. Like I try to avoid it, but um if I do notice that if I eat like a little bit, I'm okay. But if like I were to eat like a whole hamburger with like wheat in it, I do get rashes on my hands. Okay. So that's like my first thing. Like I'll start to get this rash on my finger, like right on my fingers. And when that happens, I'm like, oh, I, I kind of crossed the line. I ate too much wheat. Right. But I try to like not eat it at all because it doesn't make me feel good. I always feel tired or heavy. So weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now you guys know about my internal life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was going to ask you guys, can you also share about the lineage in your family? So right before we jumped on this call, Charlie's (laughs) mom was telling me about all the people in their family that have type one and I am like mind blown. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, well, my grandfather got it when he was in the 60s. So he was old. He had type 2. And my grandmother had type 2 also, but later in life. Um, my brother, he's 56 now, but he was 18 when he was diagnosed. And I think he had it for about a year before he was diagnosed. He was living in um, Texas, and he went to California for a while. And then he went home to Massachusetts. And my father said, Oh my God, what is wrong with you? Bring him to the hospital. His sugar was 1200. Oh my gosh. That gives me 1200. Yeah. So he, so they want to keep him and he goes, I get to go home and get, you know, clothes And the doctor didn't want to send him home. But my father goes, I'll bring him home, but I'll bring him right back. We're going to go pack a bag and we'll bring him back. So then he spent time in the hospital. So he was 18 and then his son, he's 32. I think he was about 25, 26 when he got it. So, and then your cousin. Oh, then my cousin got it at, I think she was three or eight. And then her daughter also got it at a real young age. And it's all type one. All type one. And my aunt had it too. And she was a type one. That's like, wow. That's five people. And then you guys are like six, seven, right? Is that seven people? Oh my gosh. Yeah, and then, yeah. Uh-huh. And then when she was diagnosed with celiac, you know, they asked a bunch of questions. We go to the eye doctors all the time, and they saw something in her eye. She was fourteen, and they saw something in her eye, and she and the doctor says, "Is there any colon cancer, or anything in your family?" And I said, "I don't think so." Um, so we had to bring her in for an endoscopy and a colonoscopy. Wow. The same, they did that at the same time. Well, I found out then that my grandfather died of colon cancer. Oh, my God. And I have cousins who has intestinal problems. So maybe that's how she, you know. So interesting. And that's all on the same side of the family. Wow. Charlie, your ancestral lineage is like (laughs) the type one pioneers. (laughs) I just, that is so interesting to me because... It also seems like it comes in twos, like in your family, like father, son. No, because I always said every other generation, but not in our family. It's not. Yeah, I'll let you guys know if I have a baby, what happens? 
Yeah, really. You know, it's so interesting. Or, you know, Charlie, you too, if you're planning to have a family, it's just a very interesting. Um, I just, yeah, I guess we just never know, right? It's all very unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen yeah. with our health at any time, right? Like this can happen at any time. And yes. you know, just talking about it and bringing awareness to it, I think is just so powerful because it's also good, you know, if anyone's watching and is not a type one, it's just good to see like the warning signs and like be aware because I don't think I would have went to the doctors unless my mom said something because they came to visit me in Costa Rica and my mom kept pushing like you need to go to the doctors and I was like I I was like uh I don't know I'm okay like I'm fine I almost felt honestly I felt guilty to go like I was like I'm fine I don't need to go yeah. to the doctors like, with the at 980. yeah yeah so I mean it, and I was like very thin you know yeah. and my my shorts were like falling off and I was like okay this is probably not good but I was just so afraid and my biggest push for actually going to the doctors was that I woke up one day and I couldn't feel my legs and I was like oh, I'm gonna die here I you know I thought like a bug bit me and I had some you know like I was just so afraid because I lived like in a very rural part of Costa Rica so I thought like oh my gosh like I got really sick from something here like I don't know it was a very scary feeling um and you know, what's the weirdest thing? And I always don't, I always forget this. So when I packed my bag for the two years, I was going to be in Costa Rica. It was one of my mom's like old bags. And there was all of these little, they were test strips randomly thrown in the bag. And I was like, this is so weird. And I was like, mom, I keep finding these things in this bag. What are they? And I always say it was like my first sign that I was going to be a diabetic. Yeah, really? They were randomly in the bag. And my mom goes, oh, that bag was like your grandparents. And like one of your grandparents was like pre-diabetic for a little, like on the cusp. So they had them checking their blood sugars. And then I used the bag and they were all spilled in there. So <laughs> the whole time in Costa Rica, I would see these little like six and I'd be like, what are these? And then it's just so crazy. You know, it turns out I have diabetes and so now I see those all the time, but it was just like a weird, I always like. Like thought about that because it was like my first little sign and then yeah. you know it's just uh -oh. all funny um okay so I, I had said you know what are the chances of two people in the same family having it meaning my siblings well there's 11 kids in my family that's wild yeah so so the chances were a lot higher than 11 oh my god yeah. wow wow yeah. yeah that is that is so interesting yeah. And I feel, you know, even like for your family too, like you were already like an adult living your life at that time, you know, you were 26, you had your partner, you know, you were on your own. So that's kind of how I felt too. You know, I was 23, I was already graduated college. I was already living my life doing jobs. So it's very different when you're already older and you're kind of like recreating your little lifestyle and your mindset around it. And also like, I, you know, obviously I have loving parents that were super supportive, but I felt such like an adult, like I got this, I could handle this. I wasn't necessarily like leaning into that support as much. I felt yeah. very like, I have to do this myself and I have to figure it out. Um, but I'm glad that after a year, I really took time to like meet people like Charlie and make friends and really like dive into the community. Cause I think that's made a huge difference in like my mindset around it now and, and just kind of embracing it in a different way. Um, yeah. So what is your guys's like current relationship with life, mom and daughter? Cause I know you have other siblings and how do you guys support each other in your type one journey? Basically all the diabetics in the family call me <laughs> <laughs> okay. like uncle Tim. I mean, not a bunch, but if someone has a diabetes question, I feel like 
they'll probably She's the call go-to. me. Um, but it's fun. Like we'll, we'll like all make a group chat and like, well, we pretty much only send the good blood sugars. Like if we're, if we're at a hundred, <laughs> we'll send it. And then we say like, whoever it is, we'll say like, Auntie Fee, she's not a diabetic. She's not a diabetic. <laughs> like we have this little song. So we make it like fun. Um, I'd say, I mean, my mom, like, was completely pretty much in control of my management. I moved out when I was eight, not even 18, 20. 20, yeah. Like 20. So, I mean, she had a big role in just, like, controlling it for me. But I definitely, would, like, had some rebellion. Um, so, like, I remember a lot of times if my sugar was, like, 320, I'd always subtract 200. If she's, like, she'd ask me what my sugar is, I'd be, like, 120. I would like get to that point because we didn't have sensors then for so long. I was really resistant to a sensor. I didn't want another thing on my body. You know, as a kid, I was like, I already have, it was just felt too overwhelming. Um, and my doctor would always kind of push for it, but I never got it. So like my mom couldn't always see my blood sugars. Unless if I made a test it in front of me. Yeah. Or she'd like, look at my meter. Like, <laughs> Yeah, because I was, I mean, I was definitely on a roller coaster. Like, she did everything she could. She would count. She would pack me lunch every single day, like, pack all my food every day. She'd count up the carbs, write me a little note. Like, I, so I would just know what to do. I'd put it right into my pump. I'd go to the nurse's office every day. So, like, I test my sugar. I would put the carbs into my pump. I definitely eat the whole meal all the time. So, I knew that I would. I would do that and it was fine, but I was definitely on like a roller coaster. Like I would eat a bunch of candy. I was like a normal kid. Um, and my friends were doing it and I didn't really have any other type one diabetic friends. There was a few in my school, but not a lot. Um, but yeah, she totally like just kind of took everything over. Um, but I was living in like the two hundreds, three hundreds. A lot of the time, my A1C was like 13 and 11 for a long time, it was like seven to nine. And I could never understand why, because I know the stuff I fed her. I, I mean, I would pack a normal lunch and I might do a little mini roll up, you know, a fruit roll up or something, because you can't take everything away. Huh. And I always wanted, why is the sugar so high? Well, she was always thinking food, always. I mean, she put a bunch of jacks, uh, um, cheese, doodles. cheese doodles, uh, we call it jacks, in her sweatshirt pocket. And, She's going out to the bus and my husband says, what is that? Because she had all this yellow, orange cheese around her. And <laughs> so she's sneaking food. That's the problem that we had. But like, I haven't changed. So. <laughs> she would spend the night at someone's house and they would hear her in their pantry opening chips and stuff. <laughs> Literally, Lissy, Lissy, when she watches it, she's probably going to laugh because this is like a big thing that we worked on in the program together, like not eating well at night, but also like chips. It's just, it adds up <laughs> and it's like my thing. But, um, so yeah, I feel like she did. And same with celiac. Like they bought me my own toaster. They got me all the, like we tried every gluten-free brand. There's a bakery that opened up. My dad took me to, and we went ham. I mean, we went crazy in that bakery and it was just like, it was great. They did everything they could, but I still, you know, would, just, I, I think like any kid, I think it's kind of normal. Um, I would just do other things without them knowing. Um, and then as of like pretty recently, I'd say within the last five years, my A1C has come down and has been between like six, a little bit lower than six, between six and seven. Um, and now it's like always in the sixes. So my management has changed a lot and I've taken obviously a lot in, over into my own hands. Um, 
And that's helped our relationship a lot. Like we'll talk about things that I learned in, inside Lissy's program. We'll just talk about a lot more stuff now, I think. Um, now that I've like kind of dove deeper in, into my own personal journey with diabetes and it just trickles into like, and she journey. had a really good, uh, doctor. Um, she had a doctor and then we didn't really care for the stock too much. And, um, cause she was kind of mean and saying, well, you have to do this. And she, we didn't like her too much. And then a kid in her class told her about this other doctor that he uses and that's what we switched to. And that's where she really learned a lot from this one doctor. And, 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 and for a while, I was, you know, I was scared to go see that doctor because I knew, I knew that it wasn't going to be good results. And especially in front of my mom, I was scared for like her to say what my A1C was in front of my mom because she would like kind of yell at my mom and my mom was doing everything that she knew she could. And it was more on me. Um, and I, we didn't like to, we didn't like seeing her until like towards the end, not even towards the end, towards like the middle to the end. So I started seeing her when I was like 13, I think I loved her. I was really sad to leave her. I, she's the new doctor. She, she kept me until I was 21 because I was doing so well. She was like, she, if I was like 18 and I wasn't doing so well, she'd probably push me off, which I don't know if that's great, but she would continue seeing me and I was still in school as well in college. So and I was like looking forward to seeing her. I was excited. I was, I liked the critique and like getting feedback and stuff. And that's when I, you know, I was like more comfortable with just like experimenting and acknowledging diabetes. I never hid diabetes. I was never in denial. People, I used to make people jealous. Like I remember one girl wanted diabetes. She like saw my device. She's like, I want that. And she ended up getting diabetes, which was crazy. Who was that? Olivia Kelly. Uh. <laughs> yeah. She manifested diabetes. <laughs> How did she Yeah, but I definitely like always had fun with it, but it was still very serious and I didn't take it like super seriously. I almost had too much fun in a sense. So it, I've changed a whole lot um, over the, the f- most recent years, I'd say. Um, Do you feel like you're, because I feel like that's always so interesting too is normally for someone diagnosed when they're younger, it, it's first like the really the big responsibility of the parents. And then it kind of gets later as you get older, you get more independence in it. But now you're having to like recreate your connection and your own culture with your diabetes, your own mindset, because it's separate from, you know, whoever was your caregiver before. Um, and I think it's good to share that because again, it's very interesting because you weren't just a mom that, didn't live the same experiences day to day. You're also living it at the same time as you're seeing your daughter live it in real life. So I think that's why it's so special. And, you know, this last round of one of our programs, we actually had a mom join our program who does not have type one, but her daughter has type one and she just joined just to learn. And I thought that that was so it like makes me emotional. Cause I thought that was so powerful for her to really want to join in and learn and have community for her young daughter, who's 13. Right. And same with you guys. That was always your connection. That was always what you guys had for each other. And I think that that's so special because really living type the life of a type one, it's so hard to explain it to someone because it hits us on so many levels of our life, right? Relationships, our mindset, the way we eat food, how our relationship to food, like, right. So you used to sneak food because you wanted to eat it, but you were afraid to share or, you know, dose more for that food. Like there's so much that goes along with it. And it's hard to explain someone like what a day in the life is like. Cause I'm like, I don't know. You have to just live it to really 
like embody what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like now, Charlie, like, how do you feel in your management? Like, are you still really involved sharing with your mom? Do you do things more on your own? What does that look like? Yeah. So I got on a sensor not that long ago, probably like maybe four years ago at this point, not that long ago. And she was on it for a while. I didn't purposely take you off. I don't really know why I'm not sharing with you anymore. It's not like, like I, I totally would, but she was, she was on it for a while. And that was like, you know, when I kind of just, I think I was 19. So when I kind of just got out of call, I was still in college. Um, so I think it was like important for her to still see it. I shared with her and my boyfriend. So my boyfriend can kind of get a sense of what's going on as well. Um, and now I don't really share it with her because I just feel like I have that under control. I am like confident about that. And I have, you know, I've created this like community. I remember making a post that like, I have a built in T1D community, like my family. And now I've like built a new one. Um, that's kind of separate, but they can be integrated. And that's, that's been, I mean, really like just a blessing, I think. Yeah. That's awesome. And Felicia, what about for you? Like how has your own like personal management changed now? Like from when you're first, you know, in your twenties to now where you're at. And then also with like, kind of like letting Charlie go. (laughs) Um, I think I was a lot better probably when I was diagnosed because probably I was scared. So I was really strict with, you know, what I ate and everything. And now I just eat whatever. I know there's been times that I will eat something. This was before she had diabetes. I would eat something. And so later after she got diagnosed, I said, you can't eat that. She goes, well, you used to eat it, you know? And I had to really watch myself at that point. (laughs) I would say, well, that's what insulin's for. But um, (laughs) I know that I always I will go to her and ask her and talk to her about it to how to uh, how I can fix something with me you know because she knows a whole lot more about it than I know that's awesome yeah look at you Charlie you went from student to teacher I love that I feel like we're always students and we're always teachers so it's nice and it was also really fun because like my sister is a mini version of my dad like they look alike they have the same mannerism she's like his side and I'm like a mini version of her I'm like her I look like her her side I'm like totally an Anacleto and it's just it always kind of felt like a duo like a team like not that we were against each other but I just always had that like friend in it that everything I knew she always had a low snack I knew she always had everything that I needed so like I didn't have to think about it as much which was which let me, let me like kind of live like a normal kid. Yeah. Yeah. What? There was, there was one time she went to a, um, a week away with the church and I was be- afraid of her going because of the celiac. So I packed four days worth of food for her and everything was labeled, you know, and then she would always try to, you know, manipulate one of the leaders, you know, and, he would say, Charlie, I get your game. I know what you're doing and you're not going to do it here. Because I would say she needs a phone in case she needs to call me. He says, no, I, I know her game. No, I could call you. I could call you. And But most people didn't know my game. But the people that did, I was like. <laughs> but it's kind of like 
it's like going to a diabetes camp or even coming into this diabetes community. Like the fact that I felt for so long that I was the only diabetic in my life along with her, that I could get away with a lot of stuff. But now I'm like the excuses that I would use. I can't use with like you, you know, you're like, like Charlie. Nope. Try again. (laughs) Yeah. I I know. So it's been, it's been, it's been humbling. She did go to a diabetes camp when she was younger twice. I think twice. Yeah, you told about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't really all that thrilled with them. Um, the first time, because they would they would feed the kids like whatever they wanted, like macaroni and cheese. I mean, and, and they always told them how much insulin to take. So the, I don't think they were teaching them anything. I thought they would I thought this camp was to teach them, you know, but it was a camp for all diabetics, so they won't feel because they can't go to regular they can go to a regular camp, but there's they're different. You know, if one diabetic in a regular camp. So I wasn't happy with that. And then she went back again. And then I had to send all of her food with her because of the celiac, because they didn't have that kind of food, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I just wasn't happy. They were waking up every day. She got a urinary tract infection when she was there. Um, but that's where kind of, so I was a camp counselor and then I was, well, I was a camper and then I was camp counselor at a separate camp. Um and that's kind of where my passion for diabetes camps and children comes in because I learned a lot as a camper reflecting on it. I liked the, I remember they wouldn't let you say that you're a diabetic. That was almost like a curse word there because they wanted you to feel normal. They wanted you to feel, yeah, normal, quote unquote, normal. And to me, I'm like, it's important to acknowledge that we have something. I wouldn't say that we acknowledge that we're different, but acknowledge that we have something that we need to pay a little bit more attention to and prioritize it, but also able to eat mac and cheese, but educate the kids why they're allowed to eat mac and cheese. Not, oh, you can eat it. Just ignore your diabetes. You're not a diabetic. You're, you know, take insulin and be gone with it instead of just educating what it is maybe that the mac and cheese will do and just explaining why you can have it maybe times that you shouldn't. And so it, it really helped to like, into my own personal journey and then also into a professional journey where, you know, I can kind of integrate what I learned as a camper and as a counselor and the things that I really like about stuff like that, but also things that should be kind of further explored. Yeah. And I think that's good. I think one, like the perspective of like, you obviously live as a type one, but also seeing that and how it is in the community of just like children and how it's being talked about and how, yeah. And how can we like re-educate in a way that gives them the strategy that makes them feel empowered in their diagnosis versus like ignoring it? Because, you know, that could just further damage their relationship with their own diabetes as they get older. And it's good. We, you know, sometimes we have to like push barriers like that and change the game and it's good. And I'm proud of you for being like that voice that's going to do that because those voices need to be out there because there are other options and, they're just not talked about all the time. And especially mm-hmm. for children, we need to share that. So mm-hmm. going into that, going off of that, how would you guys say, or I guess Felicia for you, how have you seen the community of type one diabetes change? Like, did you feel there was a community or there wasn't? And now seeing Charlie go through programs, have these friends, like, how does that like look for you? Um, I'm really glad the stuff that she's going through meeting, I don't know too many diabetics. Um, so I don't really have anybody that I can, I share anything with, you know, um, that know what I'm talking about, but 
I'm really proud of her for going through this health coaching stuff and, and specializing in that. Um, and, and she's so young. So it, this is really going to help her later in life. I mean, we're very proud of her for, for really searching it out. You know, I'm not a searcher. I, you know, someone tells me something, I'm just going to go along with it. I don't search anything out like she does. Yeah. That's awesome. How does that make you feel, Charlie? I'm like, why don't you search it out? I'm like, you can too. <laughs> but I think she uses age or whatever. I'm like, you can be a part of the T and D judgment free zone too. Like, I'm like, you, know, you are today. I'm like, the you resources are, are just as much there for her as they are for me. And I don't know if maybe, I mean, I understand to an extent, like you have something for almost 40 years. It's just easy to go about the way you've been going about it. But, um, if knowing that I know she's that way, I just try to share everything that I do learn. Yeah. I know that she's not going to go like Google it or go, go <laughs> on Facebook and chat with people. So I'll just kind of share it with her. Yeah. And Charlie, what was like your biggest like motivator or like what pushed you to like seek out more of like a diabetes community? My doctor. My doctor. Yeah, actually my my doctor, before I switched over to the one I'm with now, she would encourage me. I think she talked to me about like diabetes educator. I would just talk to her about different roles in the diabetes fields. And she would tell me a little bit about diabetes educator and how there's like communities out there. She recommended being a camp counselor. Uh, she recommended the camp that I go to. So she had a big part in that. And I think actually becoming a camp counselor when I was 19 was probably the start of it because um, it definitely wasn't a holistic coach by or a holistic camp by any means. And I was going into it for in a different way than I noticed a lot of other counselors were. So I think just being there and being with the kids, I was with the age group that I really love to be with. It was the age group I was diagnosed. I, I think they were in, the, they were seven, like five to seven. And it was just really touching. And I remember, I mean, we had to wake the kids up every every night, just like I did when I was a camper. And it was kind of ridiculous the way that they went about the program. And I just saw so many things wrong about it. Like they would let the kids eat and then their sugar would be high every single night. And I'm like, oh, we can look at what's going on here. There's this one girl that we had to wake up every night and we had to check her for ketones because she was high every night. And I just remember her breaking down one night and just crying. She's this little seven-year-old girl, you know? And she's just crying. And she's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go pee. I want to sleep. And I just remember holding her and being like, I get it. I actually get it. I was right there with, I was right there at your age and I'm still there. There's still times where I'm like, I don't want to get up. I don't want to eat right now. And I'll lay there, but my sugar won't go up. So I have to, and it's just kind of what we have to do. So being able to be that for somebody and also a, another little girl to look up to an older woman and have see that I have it too, that I go through it too, I think was the first kind of branch into that. And then IIN, the pandemic hit. And, you know, we're, we're all like, what are we going to do? What do we want to do? What do we want to do with all this time? So I did IIN and that was just like, oh, there's a whole, there's a whole kind of world here. And then that's when I found like diabetes communities, like found Lissy. I remember I connected with a diabetic on Instagram and she, she was like, have you ever seen needles and spoons account? And I just followed Lissy and then just, you know, started chatting with people like you and messaging people getting comfortable with putting myself out there 
messaging people on Instagram and now realizing that that's like how I've made some of the greatest friends. Like literally I feel so close to you and I'm like, we've met once. That's insane. <laughs> I, know. So I, know. I always feel like Charlie's my like little sister. <laughs> I know. So she's one of the coaches inside that program. Okay. Lissy is the head coach. Okay. She also did IAN. She also did IAN. There's three coaches inside. There's a diabetes educator. But is she a diabetes educator or a nutritionist, Jess? She's a registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator. Yeah. Yeah. So there's three of them. So I had a session with her, two sessions with Jess, and then I met with Lissy every single okay. Wednesday for 12 weeks. Yeah. We're the coaches team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's, you guys. it's yeah. Yeah. And and I think you know, and my story for finding community, you know, is, you know, similar. Like I was 24, about to turn 25. And I was taking on the diagnosis, like so independently, all on my own, holding all the emotions, everything attached to it. And then I got to a point where I was like, I just want to make a friend, even if I just make one to like, be like, Hey, you know, some of these days suck, or like, this is hard, or what do you do? Or what makes you feel better? And I didn't, I realized I didn't know anyone. And I also had a doctor an endo who was like, Hey, this is like a conference in San Diego. If you want to go to it and check it out. That was the first time I was ever in a place where everyone had diabetes and everyone was like friends. I still felt like outside the circle, but everyone was talking and like laughing and they all seemed to know each other. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like I want to be in the in crowd with like the Mm -hmm. friends. I was like, I don't, I don't have anything like this. Um, So after that, I went on Instagram and I was like, there has to be people out here in the world talking about it. I had no idea that there were accounts that were just fully focused on like type one diabetes management and support and awareness. And I found Lissy also, I found needles and spoons and I was like, Hmm, this girl is so authentic. She seems so cool. And then she announced her first program ever. And I was like, yep, I'm signing up for this. So yeah, I signed up. I was also a client just like Charlie and I loved it, got super inspired and went to health. I had looked at IAN health coaching a year before, but I was like, oh, I don't know. Then after I like experienced that connection and just like the transformations that happen when you have like a guide and a supporter like that, I was like, wow, I want to be that for someone in this community. So I went to health coaching school, graduated, started my own business. And then now I've become a coach inside of Needles and Spoons. So it's been such a, yeah, a beautiful blessing to- yeah continue meeting, you know, different people in the community. And I love that we're able to do this, you know, virtually still because yeah, I, yeah. And Charlie like would message me on Instagram and then we would just chat back and forth and yeah, it's just like, you just make really awesome friends. Yeah. You know, I'm grateful for that piece for sure. Yeah. And like, she doesn't have Instagram. She is just not, it's not in their generation. It's okay. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's incorporating and integrating it as much as I can with her while yeah. also being very involved, you know, like yeah. you are. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. I have two more questions and then I'll let you guys have your day. I know it's like snowing. It's probably cold. It <laughs> um, is. Yeah. So for each of you, like, what would you say has been like the biggest game changer in your management? Like, is it like a way you do something, a friend, or like, what is that big game changer that's really like helped you continue the journey, like feeling empowered or feel good? I say just having Charlie having it. Aww. I really do. Because I, like I said, I don't really have any friends who have diabetes and I mean, my brother, that's it. Um, but it's hard to talk to him because 
I'm a little bit more stricter than he is with his diabetes, but I think it's Charlie that really changed my life with having diabetes. That's beautiful. I mean, and I, and all the stuff that I used to, you know, I, I always weighed, measured out her food all the time. I make a fruit salad and I'd put like 10 different fruits in and I would measure every single piece of fruit out for her. And then that really got me thinking, wow, this stuff is really, really important to, to know and to know how much, you know, insulin and stuff to take. So. Oh, Charlie, I'm going to cry for you. <laughs> well, the main, yeah, the insulin pump was uh, huge, huge. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I didn't have the yeah. pump during my first pregnancy. I did not have the pump. Mm. So I still had to always take shots. Wow. And so, so you had the pump when you had Charlie, when you were pregnant with Charlie? Um, yes. Wow. Right? I had the pump with Charlie, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like that would be a whole other combo. I'd love to just chat more about like pregnancy because I think a lot of times that's like a conversation that comes up for a lot of the women that we work with because, you know, that's obviously something that for some is like, what they want to experience. They want to be a mother. They want to have a baby, but there's a lot of fears around that. And I know I have my own fears about all of that. And yeah, we could maybe chat another time about that. I would yeah, love to yeah. like know more, more about that. Um, and for you, Charlie, what's been your biggest game changer in your management? I have three and, and they're all, it's kind of different parts of my life. Number one is obviously her having like a built-in diabetes friend, everything. That was like having that as a support, it just, it took away so much as a kid. So like, obviously she, she's the start of it all. And then second one I'd I'd say is my sensor and just the tools that we have. Um, The sensor has been just like huge for me. And I think probably because I was so against it for so long that it's just a biggest, it's a big accomplishment to just, you know, be on that part of the journey and be like, okay, I'm ready for this. Um, so that's just been amazing. And I'm obsessed with the Dexcom and then the, and then this, this diabetes community needles and spoons, just being able to have authentic friendships and people who, and not have to put that pressure on, like on my friends who don't have diabetes. I'm getting better at having friends who do have diabetes helps me get better communicating with the people in my life who don't have it. Um, but, but not relying on them for, something that they can't really give me to be quite honest. Um, so just having a built-in community is the biggest game changer. I love that. Oh, well, we're so happy to have you in the community, both of you. I mean, it's yeah, the support and like the love that's out there is like one of my favorite parts too. And I, I always like, you know, I try to look at the bright side of being a type one. And I'm always like, wow, if I wasn't type one, I would not have met all of these amazing people or had these like amazing experiences and connections because it's something so special when you've like sat in something that's like painful, hard and difficult and challenging. And to sit by someone else who's also done that is like one of like the most powerful connections you really have with someone, you know, on this like human experience. So I'm always so grateful for that too. Um, yeah. And I always, I said this on our last call, I always get so excited when I see someone with diabetes, I turn into like this nerd and I'm like, huh? I'll like <laughs> try to show them my devices and some of them are receptive to it. Some of them are like, oh, no, <laughs> that's not a vibe. But 
that has been so fun just to be able to talk to people about it and just the authentic conversations that you have with both non-diabetics and diabetics, people who just like ask you what it is that you're wearing or. I find that strange when people say, what is that on your arm? You know, mm-hmm. I find that weird, but we were at a diner one time and I had my sensor and my sight of the same arm. And she says, how is that on the arm? And I said, I love it. And I was really against putting it on my arm for the longest time. And she's the one that talked me into it. And um, she goes, I try to do it. And her husband says, I can't do it. I can't do it. Mine won't work. Mine won't work. So So that was kind of weird to talk to another adult that's got diabetes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I I know. Devices are cool in that way. The whole sense of thing, you know, I was trying to talk to her into getting it, you know, and she said, no, 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 no. So, and I had one and then finally she got it. And then now she's trying to talk me into putting it on my arm. And I said, no, I'm not going to put it on my arm just because I just started to rip out or whatever. But now I always put it on my arm. That's so funny. I know she tried to get me to put it on my arm. I tried it once, but I'm still like, I don't know. Um, (laughs) I know I always see it on your arm and I'm like, whoa, I'm obsessed with it on my arm. But yeah, when I went to the diabetes camp as a counselor, a lot of people had it on their arm and I was like, doesn't it pull off? And you know, it does get caught on the door every once in a while. You have something on you 24 seven, it's inevitable, but I like it. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't like it on my stomach. So everywhere it's just different for everybody, depending on yeah, your yeah. body. We have these combos all the time with clients just about like where things are. And, you know, people get wild. They're like sticking them on their boobs. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, people are, yes. It yeah. just fell. So everyone, yeah. I feel like every body's so different to like know where to, um, yeah. Put I love it. It. Okay. So last question for both of you, what, you know, you guys are diabetes veterans, you have your relationship, like what wisdom or like any words of wisdom or advice, like, would you give out to either someone newly diagnosed or someone who's just joining the journey? Like, what would you want to share with them just as they like move forward in their diagnosis? I say to really eat well, because (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um that's the one thing I mean part of it because I noticed my sugar's up and down up and down and it's starting I could feel it in my eyes mm-hmm. you know and just just what could happen later in life because it's happening to me now you know and just try to be strict and you know I don't I don't know I mean just and don't hide it I mean you know yeah embrace having it I mean I put my on my bra strap, I just pull it out and people look at me like, you know, what is that? And what are you doing? You know? And I just do it. Not even thinking, you know, and someone yeah. said that because it's just so funny. They just pull that thing out of your, from under your shirt, you know, but I'm not embarrassed or anything by having it. At yeah. All. That's good. I heard you, Chuck. I heard you say, embrace it. I love it. <laughs> what else are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I would kind of actually say the opposite. I would say you can eat anything that you want and you can do anything that you want, but that there's tools and strategies that can support that. Um, And don't, you know, don't be feared out of certain things because you have it. But that doesn't take away from the seriousness of the disease. So I would say prioritize it, which is something I didn't do for a long time. Um, prioritizing it because it is a slow and kind of hidden disease. You, you know, you don't have to, you can hide it very well. 
um, kind of like an internal disease, I would say. So I think that it is important to embrace it and not hide it, but also prioritize it in a way that it is in the forefront and you do make it as serious as it is. Um, but don't be afraid of that seriousness. Cause I know the fear can, can be a big role in that, but other people have it. Other people I've been chatting with people on Instagram who they're, you know, their little kids just got diagnosed and they're, they're saying, I've never been so scared or, you know, just, just letting people know that there are people out there. There's a community out there. There's people who have gone through the same thing. You're going to have to work a little bit harder to search that out and seek it out and find it, but it's there. And people are there that want to have conversations like this and want to just talk and talk things through. So, yeah. I love that. That was great. Yeah. And I, I love that being curious, embracing, and then also not being afraid to step outside of the fear. Cause there's a lot of fear around type one and that like fear can really like hold us and kind of freeze us in time. So I think, yeah, being able to be curious, step outside of that comfort zone, because there, there is people out here that want to support you are here for you. And we're here for those conversations that aren't always the most comfortable, but also here to celebrate, right? Like having people to celebrate things. Like I love that you guys have your little song and your, your group texts with your family. Cause like having those moments too are special and being able to celebrate even the small moments. It's nice. And we should, you know, do that with all parts of our life. So that was great. Chuck, anything else you want to share over there? Yeah. From the one that doesn't have diabetes, but probably has lived with it more than most, I would say look up and see that gigantic stepladder that goes on for affinity and constantly take the next step. This goes for anything really, but constantly take that next step to make your life better and better and better. And, you know, never, never be stagnant and, uh, and live life large. And I, I can honestly say that that's the way Charlie is, you know, she seems very happy and go lucky. I hate, I, I always say this, I don't compare anything to this, com- this comment, but it's a good analogy. If you ever see a three-legged dog in the park, he's just as happy as the four-legged dogs. It's all up to you what you have wrong with you. And we all have something wrong with us. It's all up to you, how you make it and how you make it uh, either make you happy or wreck you. So that's all. The only thing that really bothers me is when you go anywhere. Okay, so now you have to pack a bunch of stuff, food. And that's the only thing that bothers me. When I go for my walk with my sister-in-law, I have to carry candy. I carry grapes, clementines. And there are times that I'll come home. I have everything still on me. I I didn't have to eat it. And there are times that I eat everything and I need some more. But these are six or six, six mile walks. Well, they're long walks, but I try to always get my sugar up. But then I realize I ate like a half a tuna fish sandwich and take no insulin. And my sugar's perfect the whole walk. It doesn't do, it's not bringing it up, not bringing it down. And it's a protein. And that's what I need to learn more. And learn Yeah, to like I've been more. trying to work with her on getting, and I was in that mindset for a long time. And it's still an everyday practice of not letting myself have to get high in order to just work out. Like I worked a lot with Lissy around working out and heart rate, all that stuff to kind of play into actually enjoying what you're doing and not feeling like you're running away from like when I would go on runs, I felt like I had to do it quick. So I, because I knew I was going to go low, but trying to work with her and saying, you don't have to 
let yourself get to 250 just to go enjoy a walk. There's other strategies that you can apply to enjoy that and to, and, and, and also acknowledge that there are going to be times where you're going to go low and it's okay. You're going to have those treats and it's, you're going to try different things. And sometimes it's going to be different one day than the next. And you're like, how the heck? But when you have more strategies, you're able to pinpoint um, what's working, what's not. And yeah, just trying to work on that. Cause I know that that's a hard mindset to get, to get out of. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Look at you. I'm so proud. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's awesome. That is beautiful to hear. And you're hundred percent correct. Yes. We can enjoy everything. There's definitely strategies out there to learn. And like your dad said, we're always, you know, climbing that ladder, being curious, learning more, and it's all to make us feel better and keep enjoying life. Oh, well, thank you. All three of you. That was such a fun way to start my morning. That was so fun. I'm like, I want to do like a podcast series with you guys. <laughs> I'm like the Weber's <laughs> podcast series. Um, so Charlie also, I'll put her Instagram in the bottom of the chat of this training and this conversation. So you guys could even tap in, check in with Charlie. If you want to know more about their family, their experiences, reach out. Um, And we're so excited. Yeah. If you have any questions, let us know. And thank you all. Have a beautiful rest of your snowy day. You too. Thank you. So nice to meet you guys. Love you. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.